And now on Drama on One, My Huckleberry Friend by Michelle Forbes, performed by Owen Rowe. While writing the funeral eulogy for his estranged father, the past blows open for Stephen. Childhood memories of his time in America, where he forged a deep and everlasting bond with his cousin Toby, come flooding back. This is My Huckleberry Friend by Michelle Forbes. in front of me is still blank. I could go down the usual route, I guess, say my father was a man who liked his pint, was prone to the odd bet, that kind of thing. All of which is true, but not the truth. I suppose I can say whatever I like. After all, it'll be a very small affair, no more than a handful of people allowed at a funeral these days. The truth is that my father suffered from a tumultuous lack of charm. Whiskey gave him eloquence for 20 minutes. After that, there was nothing that didn't offend him. Politics, religion, my mother's crude attempts at silence, the tilt of my head as I'd look away from him. He never taught me how to swim or ride a bike, never showed interest in my homework or told me I was good at anything. All the usual things fathers do with sons. And yet, he demanded my respect, snared as he was in a skewed sense of his own authority. There were ferocious storms of arguments between my parents over money, affection, absence. It eventually became the only way they had of talking to each other, and then the only way they had of talking to me. One day, the gale force of their arguments blew their marriage apart. My mother left with me. We went to stay with her sister in America. I remember stepping off the plane in the sizzling heat at JFK, the tarmac like sponge beneath my feet. I liked my Aunt Annie straight away. She had blonde hair like my mother but styled stiffly to the side of her head like a windswept meringue. Uncle Billy was, well, Uncle Billy, a construction worker from New Jersey, a man of few words and big smiles. They lived in the patchwork suburbia of Pleasant Valley, had a swimming pool in their back garden, four bedrooms in their house, outdoor dinner in the summer, and a ping-pong table the size of a double garage door. I remember the condo developments in the town, the bars, the malls, the dingy dollar shops. Nothing ever happened to anyone in Pleasant Valley. Nothing was supposed to happen. That's why they named it so. And to me, it seemed a kind of paradise. My cousin Toby had sandy cropped hair with a natural spike to it at the front. He was 14 and I was 10. As soon as I met him, I wanted my childish bones to fit into his. Like me, he was an only child, but Annie and Billy clearly adored him. Toby knew a simple dirt path that ran alongside the railway track. 
Most afternoons we would go there, a handful of four-inch nails in our pockets. We'd slip through the hole in the wire fence he'd cut the previous summer, lay the nails on the track, and wait for the train to come busting through. The roar and force of the 245 as it rushed past us gave us smiles as wide as houses. We dashed to retrieve our damaged goods, flattened by the wizard train into ribbons of smooth steel. Our bog-standard nails had suddenly become carving tools, war medals, hunting knives. It was pure alchemy, and felt like the most exciting thing ever, a dangerous secret only me and Toby shared. You ever lie on the track and wait for the train to come? He asked me once, his brow line taut with interest in what I had to say. I shook my head. He smiled. No, me neither. The empty bottles we found by the railway track we'd bring to Jerry's drugstore on the corner of Clifton and Caldwell. With the trade-ins, we'd buy wax skeletons or red lips, tear at the jellies with our teeth and suck at the juicy center. Then into Wally's malt shop two doors down. Wally was a big Italian guy whose manner frightened me. He would thump the counter and tell us we were good for nuttins as he winked and laced our cokes with chocolate sauce. Drink those up and get out of here, you two good for nuttins. <laughs> Toby would place his hand on my shoulder, clink his tall glass against mine and say, don't worry, buddy, he means nothing by it. A trip into New York City had been planned by Annie and Billy. There'll be amazing things to buy there. Toby had said to me, and he was right. The first thing I spotted when we entered Macy's was a pair of plastic tangerine swimming goggles. I wore them all that day, saw New York through a heavenly tangerine glaze. From the back of Billy's sturdy walnut-brown Lincoln, Toby traced the New York City skyline in the air with his finger as we left. The Chrysler Building, the Empire State, the newly completed North Tower, I copied him. How come you never learned to swim? He asked me. Don't know, I grimaced. Then took off the goggles and handed them to him. You can have them, I said, my world suddenly bleached in a new light. Cool. I was never a nuisance to Toby. Never. Three weeks into our stay was the night of the party. It was my mother's birthday. Annie went a little overboard with the wine and beer. Billy barbecued a small mountain of sausages, steaks, and chicken thighs. Salads were stacked high on trestle tables. The neighbors came. All evening, my mouth was a giveaway pink circle of Kool-Aid. It was nearly midnight when I fell asleep on the couch, and Billy carried me up to bed. Then, in the early hours, I was woken by my mother's cries from the landing. She was on the phone to my father back in Dublin, he had had a few and was laying into her, or she was hurling it all back. Billy tried to reason with my mother and take the phone from her, but she was having none of it, shouting at him and slapping his shoulders. Annie was so upset, and I wanted to check in with Toby, wanted the pair of us to head off out of there. But Toby wasn't in his room. I found him in the pool. I didn't know he was dead at first. It looked to me as though he was hanging, not floating, as though trying to retrieve something from the bottom when he had just stopped, like a watch which had run out of ticks. There were empty beer bottles by the side of the pool. 
He was wearing the tangerine goggles I had given him, the elastic strap bunching his hair into a tuft at the back of his head like a duck's tail. My guess was that Toby had wanted to try out the beer, and then had wanted to try out the goggles. There was no blame to be laid on anyone's shoulders, but somehow, what with Annie and Billy never normally having alcohol in the house, and then all the fuss with that ugly shouting match between my mother and father, our presence seemed downright disrespectful. We left Pleasant Valley after Toby's funeral, four days later. When we arrived home, my father looked chastened, but still a little cocksure of himself, as though he had suspected all along we would come back. As a way of atonement, perhaps, God knows, he had newly wallpapered the bedrooms of the house. My mother checked her impulse to chide him, the choice of wallpaper suspect, to say the least, a thick brown and yellow stripe. That night, I kept my bedside light on. I lay in bed longing for the intense heat of Pleasant Valley, wishing things were starkly different. The walls of my newly papered bedroom felt strangely unknowable. I needed some rearrangement of my own to shake off my unease. I had the idea to move my bed to where the tall boy was and move the tall boy to where the wardrobe was, as though to soften this unsettling space I now found myself in. When I shifted the tall boy from its place, then the wardrobe, then my bed, an uncanny mural loomed out at me. My father had lazily wallpapered around the furniture, and now, where the old wallpaper met the new, with its insistent brown and yellow stripe, there was a skyline, like the one which Toby and I had traced in the air together from the back of the sturdy walnut brown Lincoln. In those few weeks, Toby had shown me what I wanted to become something which in my whole lifetime my father had never been able to. This young boy had guided me into possibility, had protected and humored me, and I loved him for it. The blank page in front of me is still blank. So what am I to say at my father's funeral? What can language do for me now? We're after the same rainbows and waiting round the bend, my huckleberry friend. That was My Huckleberry Friend, written by Michelle Forbes and performed by Owen Rowe. My Huckleberry Friend by Michelle Forbes was directed by Garetti Slaven. We respectfully dedicate tonight's drama on one to the people of Chrysler, to those living and to those whose lives were so suddenly and so shockingly ended. Banach day, Lahanamnachem Amaruf.
The series producer of Drama on One is Kevin Reynolds. Drama on One. Sundays at 8pm. rta.ie forward slash drama on one. Drama on One.